This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Analyzing Everton with me, David Hughes, and of course, Josh Williams. Josh, it's been a while, certainly on this show anyway. Um, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Yeah, it has been a while. Been talking about I, Liverpool for a few weeks without without really looking at Everton, so I'm, it's, it's good to hear the change tack a little bit. Yeah, I actually can't remember the last the last episode we done. I think was it just before lockdown potentially? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but the, I think the good thing is that obviously a lot's happened in the, in in a week since, so I'm sure we'll get into it this episode. Yeah, that's it. It kind of feels like. Um, I don't want to use the term glory because we're not stage where we're celebrating glory, but certainly feels like we've reappeared at just the right time when um, you know there's plenty to be excited about for the season ahead. Um, so today in the show we'll obviously be talking transfers because you know there's been three fairly big ones for for Everton over the last week or so. Um, they look a much better outfit ahead of this campaign, so we'll have a chat about that. Um, We'll also have a talk about the new Premier League season and, of course, Tottenham, which is coming up on Sunday. Um, I know it's only game week one, but it kind of feels like a big game with it being away from home against the top side. Um, so we'll have a chat about Spurs and Evans' prospects in that game. And then we'll just finish up by touching on Evans' prospects in the in the campaign as a whole. Um, how do we think that they'll, they'll get on? Uh, hopefully it could be a good season, but we'll, we'll come to that a little bit later on. Josh, we'll start with maybe just getting your thoughts on on Everton's transfer business so far. You know, there has there's been a fair bit that's happened. Um, how would you summarise your opinion on on what they've done to date? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting. I mean, they've signed certainly one player that that didn't expect them to to buy. Um, but if you look at the business, I think there's there's positives and negatives to it for me. Mm. Um, it's nice to focus on the positives, which which you know I'm going to do. But I do think there's downsides to the deals. Uh, but I think, firstly, you know, very clearly an immediate improvement on what was there before, um, and arguably the biggest area of need in the Everton squad has been comfortably tackled with with three additions really, um, and all for around a total. I'm led to believe by yourself <laughs> for, less, <laughs> for less than sixty million. Correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely not an in the know by any stretch of anyone's imagination. But yeah, l- luckily we speak to people who are in the know, and that's that's it. We're kind of led to believe that you know it, it may even be a lot less. Just talk of you know James Rodriguez or James Rodriguez, I should say, uh, coming on a free transfer you know, I don't know I haven't had that confirmed by anyone but yeah we're looking max maybe around 60 million all in for the three players yeah I mean if you, if you look at how Everton's midfield has been in particular in the past 12 months it, it, it's kind of it's barely even there really it's it's quite you know there's, there's zero presence really um, mm. players in um, you know square pegs round holes I think they call it um, but I think I think these players should add certainly a presence. I think there's a physical capacity to the three players, which is good um, when it comes to getting around the park and you know just basically having a presence in the centre of the field. Um, but when it comes to the downsides, my my biggest issue with Evans' business, and this is it feels as though this like this has been the case for for a while, is that they're probably going to have to do all this again in about two or three years. Um, I think that's the biggest downside to it. Mm. Um, they, they, they seem to, in, in terms of think, thinking about the media in the long term, of the health of the squad, it just never really seems to be considered that much. Uh, there mm. seems to be, for me, a little bit of an impatience when it comes to getting towards the business end of the table as quickly as possible and almost skipping steps in the process to get there quickly. Which is, you know, understandable. You know, the ambition's clear, but I think sometimes when you when you take those shortcuts, sometimes it can it can it can bite you. Basically, now these days are three clearly good players, proven players at a solid level. It's just a case of, as I said, mainly that Everton have to will probably have to phase these players out or or, or buy replacements for these players inside two or three years, as opposed to. 
know, maybe five or six years of service, which would be which would be more ideal. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I mean let's address that point really from the outset. Um, because it is it is a fair point. It's something that um I touched on as well a couple of weeks ago or you know, a week and a half ago when these deals were on the horizon. Because you've you've signed a twenty seven year old, a twenty nine year old, and a twenty nine year old. Um so there is that obvious concern of um basically you're gonna be you could be lumbered with players like we like Evan seemed to be um at the, at the moment or last year. I think the the positive and I thought what they really got correct with these deals was the money that was paid. Um it felt like there was a few lessons learned in comparison to the twenty seventeen summer. Um if you think he paid forty five million for Gilfie Sigurdsson. Um so that was three years ago, Gil Gilfie Sigurdsson's thirty one now, so that was uh, testing me Matt. He was around twenty eight. So you play forty five million for a twenty eight year old. Um yeah. I think the you know the kind of I can't remember what the deal was was for Ashley Williams as well. I know he come in, in around the same period. Um, you know, Steve they had the track record of, of kind of buying players who were already in the peak and probably coming out of it. Uh, at the wrong side but as I said that being said I thought the deals were really clever if we look at James Rodriguez is was um, basically like a, a two year deal with, with the option of a third um, which I think that's dependent on how many times he plays in the second season um, but for me it just I, I see that as if the move turns out to be a disaster you, you're only basically stuck with him for two years I don't think it will be but uh, I just think that's a really it's a lot. It's a lot more clever business, I'd probably say, Josh, uh, from an Everton point of view, compared to maybe previous times. Yeah, yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. I think, in terms of getting value out of these deals, they are, they are much closer to to the value side. Than, yeah, you know those deals of the past. I've just checked Ashley Williams for you there. He actually signed for apparently twelve million. Um, mm. I'm not sure how old he was at the time, but yeah. probably was past his peak. Um, but yeah, I think I think what I'm saying is, you know, you don't necessarily have to go and sign endless players who are 21 years old. But it's just a case of, you know, if you sign a player who's 25, either side of 25, you know, whether that be just 24, 26, something like that, they've mm. still got the peak ahead of them. They, they, they might be able to offer you about six years of service if they're kept. And if they're not kept, they've got resale value there. I think the yeah. issue with the, with the players that haven't been bought is that uh, they will be with Everton until they regress. Um, they might be difficult to shift, and when they do regress, um, they're going to need replacing. But, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think the, the Hannes Rodriguez deal in particular is, is interesting in terms of the, the years on his deal. Mm. Because um, you could argue that, you know, Decore, Rodriguez and Allen, you could argue that the best player there is Hannes Rodriguez. But at the same time, he's got the shortest deal. And it's probably the lowest, the lowest price as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think in terms of minimising risk, I think Everton are definitely tackling that side. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it does look to be, you know, a huge upgrade. If you think last season, Ancelotti came in and was mainly due to injuries, but he's largely reliant on Tom Davis, Andre Gomez, Gilfie Sigurdsson, and Morgan Schneiderlin within his midfield. Um, I actually thought Schneiderlin when he could, when he played i.e. when he was fit, was pretty reliable. Actually, he's probably, for me, you know, people might laugh at this, but he's probably Evans' best midfielder in that kind of period. Uh, Fort Sigerson really struggled to adjust to playing deeper. Uh, and Gomez and Davis were just, in my opinion, poor. I know Gomez was coming back off an injury, but he just, he really struggled to kind of build a forceful midfield duo. Um, so it felt like Evans were kind of finishing the campaign after lockdown with, with no midfield. And, I think that's one of the reasons why they why they struggled so much. So um, you know the the players that he brought in, we'll touch on them now. We'll start with Allen. Um, should definitely immediately upgrade the, the the side, and then you know hopefully whilst this season goes ahead, and while these players are still you know top players, um, Everton can look at kind of identifying ne the next set of targets that they can. Hopefully, you know, be a little bit younger, have that kind of um, prime years ahead of them resale value and all those kind of other variables but for now I think there's definitely been an upgrade uh, Josh will talk about Alan first um, 
you know, how much do, have, you, have you watched of him? How much do you know of him? Um, and in your opinion, I suppose, what do you think he'll bring to Evans' team? Yeah, I've seen him quite a few times, to be honest. He's um, Obviously, I'm, I'm a Liverpool supporter and we've faced Napoli quite a few times over the years. And I've always been really impressed with him, to be honest. I think there was one match in particular where he, he completely bossed in the field. He was everywhere. Mm. Um, and I think I think he's that type of player where he's, he's, he's almost... I mean, whether he can still do it at 29 remains to be seen, but he is almost that player who can who can do the run for two players. It's, it's like you've got two players on the field as opposed to one. Mm. Um, mm. Quite adaptable as well, very industrious. Um, as I said, he's got an engine about him. But he's also um, good on the technical side as well, which I think offers an insight into, in, into how well-rounded he is. I think he, he's one of them players who he doesn't really have many weaknesses. Um, he's not. He's maybe not an expert when it comes to anything specific, but he's kind of the the, the jack of all trades sort of thing. Mm. Um, and it'll obviously help from a tactical perspective as well, because you know, regardless of whether Ancelotti's going to stick with the four 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 two or if he's going to move towards using you know vertical number eight or something like that, mm. Alan can do. Alan can do can do both really. He can do whatever midfield role you you ask of him really, unless you're you're asking him to. Maybe be a bit creative, then he, then he maybe falls down a little bit. But in terms of well, a well-rounded midfielder who will um, tackle much of what you've been lacking, I do think it's a good addition. Yeah, 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 totally agree. Um, you know, and, and under Mauricio Sarri at Napoli, um, you know, we focus on that kind of seventeen, eighteen season. He was he was a number eight, as you touched on there, in a four-three-three. I thought it was interesting he contributed that season with four goals and three assists which and there was something like 0.9 uh, shot assists per 90 as well which kind of captures you know okay they're not remarkable numbers um, but it, it does show that he kind of could impact the game in the attacking third if he was a little bit higher up the pitch Um but yeah, obviously, then uh, Ancelotti comes in Napoli switched to four four two, and following the same Alan kind of Undertakes a more disciplined role and um, tasked with, you know, breaking down opposition attacks more so than them trying to support his team in their own attacks. Um, I think if you look at his numbers, what really stands out is, is you know, being quite a relentless and forceful presser of the ball. Um, it feels like every team needs that, don't they? You talk about obviously being a Liverpool fan, you think of Fabinho, you know, he, he's fantastic at that. I thought, you know, there was few better in the game than Adrissa Gay. Um, Everton didn't didn't replace him. Okay, they bought Gabamin in, but due to his injury, he, he was just basically an invisible man last year. And you do need that figure. And whilst I don't think Alan is a natural heir, I don't think the you know the exact same player. I think whilst uh, Gabamin's still trying to get fit and get get into the side, I think we might see Alan kind of play that role, I guess. Um, and with him being you know familiar with Ancelotti's system as well. Um, I just I feel like he's going to be the ideal candidate to sit deepest within this within this new look Everton midfield. Yeah, I mean, as I said, he's a very mobile player from where I've seen him. He's you know quite an industrious player. So in terms of committing a few men forward, he should be able to provide quite a platform really for Everton to attack, for Everton to get get some players forward. I thought it was interesting though. Um, I looked at it, I looked at it last season. He did he didn't play. That much really did he in terms of in comparison to his previous years? Mm, Seen that? Yeah, yeah. It was, was it around fourteen hundred minutes, something like that? Yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, he had. Yeah, he, he I'm had, not every now and then the, the odd little random um, issue. Like I'll, I'll get it up now, but if you want, if you want to fill the space, but yeah, yeah, I'll get it up now. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure whether there was a um, something to do with once Catuso come in. At Napoli, I just don't think he he particularly favoured him, or he wanted to go a different direction. Um, or I don't know if there was a few niggling injuries in there as well. Um, but I just yeah, think that can happen sometimes, can't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the injuries that he's got that has got down for him on on transfer market is muscle fatigue, which is mm. you know not one that you usually see very often. Um, mm. And I just I decided the muscle fatigue. He was he was featuring, but maybe half an hour periods every time so and he had, he had a slight knee issue apparently a bruised rib very random injuries really 
do they to you though reading between the lines do they seem like the type of injuries you'll only pick up when you you're not really in favour or not really enjoying your football and um you know it's just I feel like if you're playing in the side week in week out you tend to you tend to kind of play through that stuff yeah I mean they, they don't look like long term issues by any means yeah um so that's that, that's the kind of hope there that uh, you know it would be a case of perhaps um, with it being the you know clearly not in favour with Gattuso that um, it was kind of easier not to play or not to force injuries and all night he's probably going to be moving on in the summer um, but look on the whole I think it was a, a good move and I think you said it right at the top of the show how important the midfield is was how important it was getting that midfield fixed this um, this summer and I think he's going to be someone who's definitely improved that area um, and another one that will move on. come on sorry I was just going to say I think I think what these signings do especially Alan as well I think the the, the move Everton towards uh, you know the realms of being of being really competitive in every match really. I think that's what that, that's what these signs have done. Okay, they're quite relatively short term deals, but in terms of getting Everton competitive, particularly in the middle of the park, you know, they're gonna have quite a significant impact on that if, if you can get Alan, Decore and Hamas Rodriguez playing every single week. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. We'll um just with you mentioning then we'll we'll move on to Decore. You know, he's a player who's kind of been in Everton's scope for feels like a couple of years now. I'm not sure if some of that was down to Marco Silva, um, but he said himself, you know, this is the club I've only, just the only club I've wanted to go to. I've been trying to move there for a while. Um, he's the youngest as well, which is quite surprising because it feels like he's been around for a while. But he's still just 27. I know that's uh, that's prime years, but it's still not a bad age to bring him in. Only 20 million paid, which I thought, okay, I know Watford got relegated, but I thought again that was a good price for them. Not that you'd be wanting to pay upwards of 30 because I feel like you'd be overpaying, but I just think Everton, you know, paid what, what he's worth. Um, Premier League experience, big and powerful, kind of looks, I guess, like the um, the perfect partner for, for Alan for the time being. I don't know if you agree with, if they are stick with the 4 4 2. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can actually see Decore and Alan being vaguely similar to Decore and Capui. For um for Watford in terms of just being a double pivot, but but a double pivot that's that has real presence, lots of mobility, um aggression, all that sort of stuff, physicality and all that sort of stuff. So you you know that they're playing, you know that you're in for the game. Mm. Um, and I think yeah, to, to be honest, when you mentioned when you mentioned before that you signed a 29 year old, a 29 year old, and a 27 year old, <laughs> I had to I had to check who the 27 year old was. Because I actually thought they were all 29 for some reason. I'm not sure why I thought that. Mm. So, because he's 27 and you've got him for, yeah, I think on the, on the verge of 20 million, it's not, it's, it really isn't that, that bad of a deal. And considering his, um, his, his strengths on the game, you know, he's a good good forward runner, later rather into the box and stuff like that. But a bit like Alan in terms of, he clearly got quite an adaptable skill set in terms of moving around different tactical systems and stuff. Clearly, mm. had a presence in the air and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In- interesting little move, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've touched on some of his, his kind of assets there. It, you know, we're talking a, a six foot midfielder. Um, he's big. He's strong. He, he, you know, he's, he's what you call a powerhouse. Um, I guess would be the best term. Um, he's also really aggressive and pressing, similar to Alan. But you know, despite being so big and strong, he is really mobile. Which is, is is quite rare, I think, for you know players who are that kind of build. I guess um, good at carrying the ball. We know he's a decent ball carrier. You mentioned that little um, caveat about the um, arriving late in the box. It's a really good point, and you know he he has kind of really chipped in with with some output over the last three or so seasons. He scored or assisted twenty two Premier League goals in that time, which Okay, again, you know, not stunning numbers, but if you think about it for a central midfielder, um, and then if you compare it to the output of Evans midfielders, you know, over the last year or two, there's only really, I'd say, Sigurdsson who might be able to come close to that. And Sigurdsson obviously takes 
most set pieces and penalties. So you're kind of bringing a player in who, who can bring you a lot of mobility in the middle, big presence, good ball carrier, um, strong in the air, but also a player who might be able to chip in with the odd, the odd goal as well, which is, which is always welcome, isn't it? Yeah, well, again, just similar to Alan in terms of being a bit of an all-rounder, really. One of them mm. players who doesn't have many weaknesses, but seems to tick most boxes to a, to a fairly decent level. In terms mm. of his output there, that you just mentioned as well, I was actually looking at that, as you were saying that. Um, and maybe not last season, obviously, Watford suffered relegation. They had about four different coaches or, you know, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, it was but that. Last season, yeah, the season before that and the season before that, so 2017-18, and 1819. He um he scored seven, assisted three, and the following year scored five, assisted six. So that's two seasons in a row there that he's added at least ten scoring contributions to his team despite playing in midfield. Mm. Now, if, you, if you if you if you put that into context in terms of like you know what that's probably worth in terms of points, you know he, he's adding a fair amount there and despite playing in midfield, you know, ten, 10 scoring contributions per season for your centre midfielder. You know, we can't really argue with that. Yeah. Yeah, we've said on maybe on this show, maybe on another show we talked, that there's a general um, consensus amongst kind of football statisticians that, you know, roughly a goal amounts to a point across a, across a season. So if you think that he's contributing, you know, 10 per campaign, you could potentially argue that he's, he's earning an extra 10 points. As I said, we know it's not, you know, it's not that black and white, but that kind of captures the influence you can you can have and hopefully that the influence he can bring. Um because, you know, for Everton, as I said, there hasn't been that real influence in terms of goals within the middle for for a long time. And it's probably worth adding what on the core, Josh, that unless maybe you you have any information contrary to this, he um I don't think he takes any set pieces, did he, at Watford? Or he didn't take any, sorry? No, I'm pretty sure he took none. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, no it's penalties. Yeah, no penalties, no. But it's, it's probably worth adding as well that I think there's there's a general perception of of midfielders in England because of the likes of maybe, you know, Patrick Vieira and Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard especially. You know, these players contribute a lot on the attacking side for their teams. You know, back in the, the peak Barclays Premier League years and stuff like that. But on the whole, if you look, you know, throughout Europe, most central midfielders don't actually do an awful lot in terms of direct scoring contributions. Like in mm. terms of actually providing assists and actually scoring goals, most, the large majority of midfielders don't really offer much on that side. They might offer some progression and the pass before the assist and all that sort of stuff. But, if it, but in terms of the core, obviously he's offering assistant goals as we just captured there to, to about a 10 per season. You know, it, it, it is it is a bit, um, I don't know, maybe unique is the word in comparison to most most centre midfielders out there. If you, if you consider that the sample will be about, I don't know, maybe around around 200 across Europe's top five leagues. Yeah. Yeah, The um, I mean, the appeal is, is clear to see and I just think it was another good piece of business. Um, and Everton have got two really good central midfielders there now. Um, it does actually make you think, before we move on to James Rodriguez, it does make you think, you know, I don't know what your opinion is, but what um, I wonder what the future holds this season for the likes of Gomez and, and Davis if they stick around. Because uh, for me personally, I couldn't see Gomez kind of or Davis partnering either of those two players and bringing anywhere near the same um, impact, I guess, is probably the best term. Do you, yeah. what, what, I mean, what do you think on that? Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I don't think it necessarily has to be... I mean, are you, are you suggesting maybe that you know, they should be sold or, or, or something like that? Or? I'm not. I'm just... I, I guess I'm just saying... I'm almost, you know, drawing a line in the sand in that. Um, they, they now know that that they've got to work extremely hard to get back into this Everton side for me. Um, you know, where they were kind of guaranteed to be started last season. I just think it's very rare that you buy a player and you're like, this player should be starting from the outset and whoever was in that position, especially central midfield, whoever was there last year, um, 
should be immediate relegated to the bench and the, the emphasis is on them to get back into the side. But I do think it's quite unique this year where I, I, I believe that these two probably should be, whether Sunday might be a little bit too soon, but um, these two should just be considered Everton's starting two in the four four two now. Um, and the likes of Gomez, I've got to, I've got to work hard to, to get back into the side. Yeah, I mean, Tom Tom Davis, you know, English homegrown, still only 22 years old. I wouldn't have much of a, of a concern around him, but I think Andre Gomez in particular, obviously he's 27, is supposed to be his peak. Mm. Um, I, I just think like, you know, we just mentioned then in terms of, you know, quantifying um, the Corey's output on the attacking side in terms of what that, what that might be worth in terms of points. I think Gomez is just, He's a, he's a good footballer, but in terms of what he does for his team, moving them towards winning, adding points, having a difference towards the goal difference on the defensive side and the attacking side of his team, it, it just feels a bit... I seem to use this term quite often with you, with you Dave, but he seems to be a, just a bit beige. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, th- th- he's neither here nor there, really. He's, he's not like a, above a 5 out of 10, not below a 5 out of 10. Yeah. But crucially, as I said, in terms of adding goals, making a difference to your goal difference, adding points to a team. Gomez just feels a bit a bit like a, a bit of a ghost. Um, yeah. And I, I think the Corey and Alan will offer a bit more on that side, a bit more a bit more presence, a bit more difference in terms of impacting the results of Evans' team. Yeah. Yeah, for me Gomez is bypassed too easily, um, without the ball. Uh but then he's also not really doing enough with it. I think on his day, he can be a, a really good passer. You know, try a few penetrating balls, but over the course of a of a season, he doesn't do that nearly enough, and that's the issue with him. Um, but you know, I, I do want to keep the, the podcasters. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I I love it to be objective. I don't just want it to be all. You know, everything's fantastic and rosy because I think you can get that everywhere else, and that's not what we do on this podcast or any other show we do. But I do want to. Um, kind of keep up with the positive themes if possible seeing as it's been a good week so I'll move from the misery of Gomez to James Rodriguez um, which feels like a like a big signing to be honest Josh feels a bit like a marquee one um, you know I, I, I'm not going yeah it's hard to yeah it's, it is it's really hard to try and um, articulates what I'm trying to say more beyond that that it just feels huge it just feels a really big sign yeah it is and it's it's one of those signs well that kind of um, goes beyond the pitch as well like it's uh, in terms of the commercial side and all that sort of stuff and what, mm. it, what it signifies in terms of you know quote ambition and all that sort of stuff um, mm. it is a big deal yeah um, you know a, a top performing Hamas Rodriguez you know the the, the peak Performing Hamas Rodriguez starts for the vast majority of teams in Europe comfortably. Mm. Um, yeah. So if, if Everton, you know, advanced shots, you can get that out and can get back to that level. You know, he's a serious player. Yeah. It kind of feels like this is. I mean, I'm. I'm. It's. I suppose you could put Al, Alan in this bracket, but this feels like a sign, and that was really thanks to having Ancelotti as your manager. Because you you couldn't yeah I don't think you could say Everton would have got James Rodriguez if Marco Silva was still in charge. You now it feels like you've brought in a real big name on the back of having a real big manager, which um, you know for any concerns we had about Ancelotti at the time when he was coming in. Although we had a lot of positives to say, of course, you know we had some concerns, but this is certainly one of the positives in that what he can bring is just. You know, it's in many ways it's it's it next level to what Everton have been used to in recent times. Um, but obviously, the important thing is it, how he does on the pitch. Uh, maybe we'll touch on availability and stuff in a little bit. But just in terms of playing in the Everton side as a fit, James Rodriguez, how do you see him featuring Josh? Firstly, just 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 on um, Ancelotti damage, I think I think. Mm. That that influence of of a manager and and being a draw for players is is definitely a thing. Um, you know, if you, if you look at the, the the players that have signed for Manchester City over the past few years, okay, there's a lot of money involved, but how many of them have said it's it's to work under Pep Guardiola? 
Um, mm. I think if you, if you look at United's business since Ferguson left, and maybe the names that the really talented names who have turned down United in the past few years, mm. yeah. you think of um, Erling Haaland, players like this. I think uh, Jude Bellingham as well. That that doesn't happen if if Ferguson's in charge over over Solskjaer. You know we've seen that at Liverpool as well. Obviously, we don't want to use Liverpool as an example on an Everton podcast. But Jurgen Klopp's brought some serious players to Liverpool over the past few years. That despite suffering from um, competition from rivals at the time. So yeah, I think in terms of Ancelotti, this is this is one of the main perks of getting him in. Basically, the the, the absolute draw that he's going to have on on players who who maybe in a different scenario, would, would, would look the other way. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's such a good point, to be honest. I'm glad that you flagged it. It is it is so true. You know, the examples you used, I thought my United was a really good one there. If United had um, Guardiola, Klopp, someone like that in there, you know, w- would these same deals that they've missed out on have happened? You think he would? Even even Sancho now, you you led to believe that basically Sancho hasn't forced the move through with Dortmund, which is one of the reasons why it's happened. Amongst other things, there's other variables with costs, etc. But you believe if United had a truly elite, big name manager there now, that Sancho would, as an English as an English player as well, he'd be desperate to get to United. I'm not saying he, I'm pretty sure he still wants to go there, but you do feel like that would have maybe been the thing that pushed them over the edge. And yeah, Ancelotti in many ways has kind of put Everton back on the map in a lot of places. Um, and this is, you know, bringing in James Rodriguez is is really thanks to him. Obviously, we, we give brands credit as well, but just in terms of selling him this project, it's, it's down to Ancelotti. Um, let's go back to what we are going to talk about, Josh. Um, how we see him featuring... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it yeah, it's an interesting one because obviously we've already mentioned quite a few times the four four two. Now I, I have always personally seen Hamas Rodriguez as a ten. Mm. Um a very nice ten, I will say. So not not the traditional ten that you have to maybe carry. I think Hamas Rodriguez is kind of in the the mould of like a I think Mourinho said once that um his number tens have to be an eight and a half without the ball and a nine and a half with the ball. Mm. And I think Hamas Rodriguez fits that bill really. Um I think he, he he has a real ability to to blend scoring and creating at the same time while also being active on the defensive side. Speaking yeah. of his creation, Dave, I don't, I don't, have you seen his, his shot assist numbers? Um, no, I'm. I I don't know enough to stop me. I, I think I have seen them, and I'm pretty sure they looked insane. But with he just was the caveat of those fairly low playing time, like low sample size, or yeah. Well, I mean, over the course of the past six seasons, he's played eight thousand minutes. So okay, you know, yeah. that, that's a that's a fairly no, decent that's okay, size. Yeah. Obviously, that. three three of those seasons at Real Madrid. Sorry, four of those seasons at Real Madrid, two of them are Bayern Munich. So obviously he's benefiting there from having the ball. But over that 8,000-minute period, he's averaging 3.4 shot assists per 90. Um, for perspective, that's a lot. Um, I'm going to get off the Bruyne now. I know off the top of my head, Santos Alexander-Arnold is posting about 2.5. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, since over the past seven seasons, so... Five of them at Manchester City, two of them at Wolfsburg. De Bruyne is averaging 3.4 shot assists per 90. What did I say Hammers was? It was both 3.5, wasn't it? Bo- you bo- said? Bo- no, bo- both 3.4. 3.4. I mean, they, they they are huge numbers. You know, that's that's impressive. Yeah. And if you think... Come on. I was just going to say, to, to be honest, I'm quite surprised. I, I didn't know he was... I knew he was good, obviously. I knew he was a scorer and stuff like that. But in terms of being creative, I didn't know he was doing that much for his for his teammates in terms of presenting them with shots. Yeah, I think if you if you can go on FB Ref, if anyone ever you know wants to know where there's some sort of free good data, he looks he has some really good shot creating numbers there as well. He, he I also shared actually if people want to go on uh, at da Hughes underscore 
you'll see, you know, I share the radar, one of 23's radars on him, and he just looks ridiculous. Um, with, with, they, they, tend, they basically compare his numbers to, to you know, players in, in the same positions uh, across Europe. And, you know, he's, he's basically maxing out most metrics. Um, he's just a, he is a, he's top, top talent. Um, I can't remember so, where we up to. Go on. So how do, how do you actually see him fitting in then, Dave, in terms of the tackle side? Because, you know, in a 4 4 obviously, unless it's a 4 4 diamond, mm. obviously there's a bit of a, you know, where does he fit? So for me, I've kind of backed him to feature as, Almost like a, on the right um, of Everton's attack. So, you know, like a, the 4 4 2, he plays on the right. Um, and again, I hate using <laughs> Liverpool references in Everton podcasts. It doesn't feel right. But on this occasion, I think it's it, it's worth flagging. I, I see him almost playing like a Coutinho role, albeit I know Coutinho was playing in a 4 3 3. But, you know, the way Coutinho was playing on the left, but he tended to kind of cut in. Occupy those like half space areas, um, mm. positions in between the defence and midfield. That's what I can kind of see him doing. I, I'd say on the right for two reasons. One, because uh, Evan don't really have a great right side. They've only got Theo Walcott, who's the only real night natural right side of the attacker. Um, and secondly, Rodriguez is left footed, so it, it kind of works perfectly to, for him to be cutting in onto that left. Uh, obviously, he won't be a traditional wide man. You won't see him, you know, driving at speed down the line and then looking to swing crosses into the penalty area. That's not his game, but you'll probably instead see him, I guess, acting a bit like an advanced playmaker. Um, you know, just cutting in and then we've we've just touched on his ability, uh, kind of chance creating abilities. So, you know, maybe he'll be looking to thread balls in, crosses into the box, or unleash shots on goal because he you know, he's got a fantastic shot from distance. So there's a few options, but I think right now, if he stays four four two, he's best suited as a as a right side of the tackle. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you just mentioned there about the prospect of a diamond. I do think a diamond would be interesting, you know, with Evans couldn't see. Mm. So if, if, if you pick, obviously, a diamond allows you to play a number ten. It allows you to play with a front two, um, and it would allow for Allen and the core to both kind of operate as kind of like you know the the number eight in the diamond system, the shuttle midfielders. Up and yeah. down, up and down. That sort of vibe. The only issue with that would be, obviously, your reliance on your fullbacks to provide the width. Lucas Dean will be fine doing that, but on the right side, I'm, I still think I'm looking for a right back, aren't you? Yeah, that's correct, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on the on, on the um the the whole midfield position, I'm not really sure. Say, for example, if you have, so if, let's go for the diamond. If you go for the top, so you've got Calvert Lewin and Richarlison up front. Rodriguez mm. is the ten. Alan and Decore is eight. Who plays the six? Who so, plays the deepest role? Yeah, so we've talked about that a little bit this week. And I, in an ideal world, you're looking at Gabbanon. Because um, that's his yeah. profile, isn't it? And if he can come in and get fit, then that's your midfield. Uh, Gabbanon, Alan Decore, Rodriguez at the tip. And I do think that's a really strong diamond. But the problem is, Josh, we just... You don't know how good Gabamon is. You know, how, how good do you retain from like an 18-month layoff um, in a new league already? It's just, it's hard to kind of bank on this player to come back and be what you need from that kind of, I guess you call it a number six role. So then if if he, if he you can't get him fit, can't get him in, I can't think who the other candidate is to kind of play that position. Um yeah. That's the that's the problem with the with the I mean, diamonds. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the players that you've got to play with there. Really, you haven't got you haven't got a, a lot. Um, you've got Tom Davies, you've got Andre Gomez, you've got Fabian Delft, maybe somewhere. Delft's um, not a bad shout, you know. Delft for for all the dislike amongst Evertonians for Delft, which I get, you know, it's not always on the pitch. Uh, it's the fact he never plays, always injured, and he. Uh, he had a, he was a little bit mouthy once on social media, which upset a few people. But all that aside, Josh, he's not actually a bad player, you know. Like he's probably one of Everton's better midfielders. No, no, I I looked into numbers while we were in lockdown, and we had absolutely zero football to talk about. And um, <laughs> this is this, this is just one of the random avenues that I explored. But I explored 
two two footedness. So which players use both feet quite frequently? And Fabian Delta, actually the most two footed player in the league. Mm. Um, I looked in the Bundesliga. He would have also been top of the Bundesliga. I should have done the whole year, but I I actually think that he, he might be the most two footed player in the whole year, Fabian Delta, which is you know takes some doing. But mm. I do think that his decision making sometimes is a bit a bit, a bit erratic. He can he can be a bit stupid sometimes, can he? And, yeah. Overcommit sometimes. That's it. You you kind of want your player in that position to be really reliable, but it is interesting. You know, you can if you, if you're comfortable on both feet, um, I think it just opens opens up your your kind of vision, I guess, and your, your capabilities in terms of your passing range. Um, so Delf could be an option, but the problem with Delf is he's just never fit. No, never available. Um, and if you oh, never available. I will add as well that um the, the perks of the diamonds you also don't you don't then have to play any wide attacking players. And I think if you look at Everton's attacking players in the wide positions, I'll be honest, mate, I, I hate them. I, I think they're really <laughs> absolutely toothless on the attacking side. At least you've got Theo Wolcott, you've got Bernard, um Anthony Gordon, okay, he's learned the straight, you know, you're gonna be yeah. on him. I think Awobi has has struggled since he's came to Everton. Mm. So I, th- I think playing a diamond would allow you to to completely remove those positions, basically. Yeah. Um, I just I just think it's an interesting little prospect that Ancelotti mm. might play with. Yeah. No, it is, and um, obviously the width is then provided by wing backs, and we don't know what the score is with right back, but we know, you know, left back Everton have one of the better left backs in the Premier League in uh, in Luka Dean, so kind of you know you can rely on him. So the diamond is is appealing. Uh, it may come. There's also the option of potentially even that, you know, people people have been talking about a four two three one. The maybe you could go down that route, and it, that kind of just leads us on to crucially just just pointing out that the good thing with these purchases as well is there's a lot of versatility in terms of playing roles, isn't it? Um, it feels like Everton had a squad basically built for four two three one when Ancelotti come in. Which meant some players just struggled to adapt to a four four two, but all three of these players could potentially play a couple different roles um, in different formations, which which could be important as Ancelotti could end up changing his his setup, you know, further down the line. Yeah, I mean, it feels like I've been I've been buying for for four two three one for for a few years, but yeah, yet they're still they're still not playing the system for whatever reason. Um, just a little a note on Hamas Liga as well I forgot to mention before I mean, he, he seems to um, he's a consistent overperformer you know on the um, the XG side a league player mate <laughs> yeah well there you go I mean since over that six season sample that I mentioned so again 8,000 minutes he's overperformed by 17.4 goals mm. um, every season he overperformed six seasons ago by seven, then by four, then by two, then by two, then by one and a half. And then last season, obviously, only played about 400 minutes for Madrid and be virtually level with his, with his expectations. So he's one of them players, again, who, you know, most people know him from that, that World Cup goal for Colombia. He is kind of that player, really, who can, who can put the ball on the back of the net despite being presented with difficult, difficult um, shot locations. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, you know, I joke then, but we do always say, don't we, that if you see if, if you if players are consistently overperforming over certainly over sample sizes like that, compared to the XG then it's not luck, it's it, it's because the really good finishers, you know, really good shot takers. Um and maybe if we have time we can have a look at kind of his his post shot XG numbers and just you know, further down the line and, and, and see because you, what you find, don't you, is um, if if post shot XG dramatically increases on XG, then it's it's normally down to a player's kind of elite finishing levels. Mason Greenwood yeah. immediately stands out. He does that quite well. He seems to overperform against his XG, but when you can look at his post shot XG, you see that you know it, it increases substantially thanks to his own abilities. Um, but we, I mean, we just before we do move on, in in, in short, it's. You can see the appeal with all three, can't you, Josh? And it's it's kind of been okay. Let them. We we we've, we've talked about the 
the potential concerns will be focused solely on just what he'll bring to the side this year. It's it's three good buys, isn't it? Yeah, as I said, as I said at the top of the show, I think it's it's a very clear improvement on what was there before. And the the most important thing is that it it tackles probably Evans' biggest areas of need and brings them to a level whereby they are competitive. That I mean that midfield should is is good enough and capable enough to to compete with with any Premier League team really. Mm. Um, and I think that I think that's the main thing here that we've got to focus on. Yeah, really, a uh, really good line to to finish that little segment off on. So we'll we'll leave it there. Um, move on to Tottenham this Sunday first Premier League game. We've spoken about this already, Josh, but it's come it's come round quick, hasn't it? It's, yeah, uh, um, I needed a bit fast. more of a break personally. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of them for it, it it has come around quick, but at the end of the day it's you know, it's our hobby, our bread and butter in terms of our work and life. So it is good to have it back. Obviously Everton go to go to Tottenham. Now Everton actually uh, I've I haven't won against Tottenham in fifteen league games. Um I mean that kind of continues the theme of just all around poor records against traditional top six sides. Um, Tottenham obviously under the stewardship of Jose Mourinho now. I thought it was interesting when I was doing a little bit of research on them that since he came in in November, uh, Tottenham actually uh, finished fourth. If you just basically limit the games to the ones he was in charge, it was maybe twenty odd games. But yeah, in the in the table. Tottenham were fourth, and Southampton were fifth, which was also quite interesting. But then, if we if we have a look at expected points in the table and expected points for that same period, they actually ranked eleventh below Everton. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting, Josh. That okay, they they, they clearly got the results, but maybe the um, the performances weren't there, and there might have been even been a little bit of fortune to. To kind of pick up the points that he did. Yeah, I think you've just summed up there really in terms of separating the results to the performances, which I think Mourinho has been, he's, that's what he's always done, really. Mm. I think I wasn't actually aware of, of them placing fourth, but then 11th for expected points, that was something I was unaware of. But I don't know, so maybe you can put a bit of that down to, to how Mourinho's game changes tactically once he, mm. once he gets a lead sort of thing to hold on to or. Or that sort of thing. Obviously, if if Spurs are you know, I'm gonna go at a team and and they take the lead and stuff like that, maybe Mourinho is inclined to to basically stop attacking. And mm. if the other team continues to attack, that's going to have a difference on the XG scores at the end of the at the end of the match, and it's going to maybe look like Team A deserved the draw or whatever. But um, but yeah, in terms of the performances of Spurs week to week, they did seem just as inconsistent as they did before he arrived. Um, mm. But I, I do have general thoughts though on that sort of thing. I think he suffered from a lot of injuries and things like that. Um, well, how do you, uh, just on them then? How, how do you actually? What's your opinion on how you think they'll get on this year? I have my own thoughts, but yeah, I'll let you kind of go first. Do you think? Do you think they're gonna have a good campaign? It's difficult to say, but considering it's it's still you know this is Mourinho's first season in charge, isn't it? Mm. Very, very, very rarely does Mourinho have a bad first season in charge mm. of anyone. Um, so I would expect him to do well I don't know how well um, but his initial vision for the team when he first started I, I actually really liked um, he interpreted the squad sensibly I thought played um, I think it was 4-2-3-1 but then with possession it became a back three he kept the two in the midfield and Sergio joined the attacking lineup. so it became a, a 3-2-4-1 in possession Obviously, Sergio Aurier is a bit of a nutcase, and he's been, he, <laughs> he's been um, kind of replaced this summer really by Matt Doherty, who's really good on the, in the attacking areas. I mean, scores goals that was, for Wolves. That was a good buy. Yeah, and they've and they've got Hoybier in midfield, who's a lot more in, industrious, I think, than people realise, and mm. I think he'll be really well suited to. See, for example, he's paired with Ndombele who maybe does a little bit less on the defensive side. You've got a pair in there who compensate for each other's flaws, really. 
Um, mm. Or maybe if, if it's not in Dombley, Los Celso's, you know, very progressive, but maybe needs a bit of the defensive work done for him. Mm. So, yeah, I think getting Doherty and Hoybjerg in and adding them to the the three two the three two four one thing that Mourinho had going initially when he had all those players fit. Obviously, you got Deli Ali playing and stuff like that. I, d- I did initially have a bit of hope for him, but he's, he's a really hard person to predict. Spurs are a really hard team to predict at the minute. Mm. But part of me does think they have got the they have got enough there to to have a decent decent campaign. I'm not sure how decent, but yeah, it's, I'm going to look at them with with a bit of intrigue this season. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think. It's hard to add much more than that. I, I agree. I thought they bought fairly well. You know, no no superstar purchase, not like Indomble was last year. Um, although it didn't work out for them, but, you know, that felt like a really big buy. You know, there hasn't been none of that, but Hoiberg, Doherty have been good purchases and definitely things that they needed. I think they'll be better for having those two players in the side. Do I think they're going to break the top four? I don't. You know, I, I can, I can yeah, kind no, of just I'd see... question that one. Yeah, I can just see them being a, a kind of top seven side again. But you know, the problem is as well, I think the Premier League is going to be really competitive. This is something else that we've spoke about. You know, the, the teams are certainly in the top ten. Teams have bought fairly well. They're very settled. You know, a lot of all all the managers of most top ten sides now are you know fairly new into their um, into their regimes. You know, either haven't been there too long or have been but very comfortable you think like the clock and Guardiola um, or they've got you know maybe first full seasons if you think of like Ancelotti, Arteta so it, it kind of feels like we're going to see a lot of settled clubs at the top end of the table for the next season um, which is going to only make them make these teams better and I just think for Tottenham's quality in the side I'm just not sure they'll do enough to to kind of close the gap on those sides above. And this is a very, you know, Sky Sports generic statement here. But I do feel like Mourinho has just lost a little bit of his oomph. And I think football is, for all the stuff that we talk about in terms of data and numbers, I do think a lot of it's psychological. And, you know, all the clubs he's gone into, he's had that aura, that wow factor. And that, for me, it just feels like it's already subsided so much at Tottenham. And that's a lot of his appeal, in my opinion. I do wonder how much he's going to get out of this side this year, um, maybe not having that aspect to his game or his management. don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know what you're saying. Like, I, do, I do think that there's, there's an element to, to what he does, which is kind of a little bit player start off now. Mm. Um, I think a lot of players... You know, with the the rise of the whole pressing game and all that sort of stuff, I think a lot of players now they kind of know the brand of football they want to represent, really. And mm. when you get asked by a Mourinho type to, you know, when you get a lead, sit on the lead and just defend for however long it takes. You know, a lot of players now are just kind of they're not unwilling to do it, but they they kind of they, they, they don't want to do it really. They, they, they want to play a more proactive game. Um, and I think mm-hmm. Mourinho's very results driven all about win, winning is all that matters and stuff like that and that that does well for him because he does secure results but sometimes the performances can be a little bit grim and I think that bothers a lot of players but, but yeah, I, I think, think it just on that Josh sorry I think it bothers the fans as well because in our yeah. little kind of Twitter bubble we have you know we follow a few Tottenham fans and you see a lot of whinging even when they win and because They've gone from such a, you know, exciting kind of philosophy under Pochettino, a coach that they loved. Okay, he was sacked, but, you know, it, it, it wasn't something that was celebrated by Spurs fans. And they've gone from that, being associated with that brand of football to then kind of going to Mourinho. And I think, I don't think they're enjoying it, if I'm being brutally honest. No, well, he, th- this is why... <clears throat> He seems to um, not last particularly long at clubs because if you have, you know, you've got your results and you've got your performances. Mourinho's performances typically aren't that great, but mm. he gets results, so he stays in the job. If after three years those results start to suffer, 
he has nothing left to fall back on oh, because yeah. the performances are already a bit grim. Mm. So if the performances mm. are bad and the results are bad, very quickly it turns very sour with, with, with Mourinho. Whereas, say, for example, if a more entertaining coach was to start losing um, losing matches, you've still got the performance side to fall back on as, as like, you know, a reason to, to keep him in the job sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a really good point. Um, we'll, we'll we'll have a quick chat out the game now before we uh, before we round up. Obviously, I don't know if you got to watch this game, Josh. These two sides only met about eight weeks ago, and it was potentially one of the worst football games I ever watched. And being brutally honest with you, um, <laughs> it was settled by way of an own goal, one nil. But neither side really deserved yeah. to win it. Um, I actually remember it was the game where the recent son had a fight on the pitch pretty much, which kind of, you know, summed up they were a bit of a mess. You know, Everton showed not enough ambition, but then I won't be too critical because I just think they were just so limited. Um, but it was a poor performance anyway. I do think this could be potentially be a big game for Everton. If they were to go and win, a game, game week one, go and win away at a top, traditional top six side, get that kind of monkey off the back that lingers over them all across the campaign, then I, I do feel like that could be a springboard for a pretty special season. Obviously, I don't want to get carried away. You know, football is so inconsistent. You could win one week and lose the next. But I do feel like it would, with the field goal factor around the club, that would be a huge win. Um, and I mean, do, do you agree? What do you think? Am I being too, am I being too excitable there? It depends what you mean. <laughs> yeah, like, is, is this the part where we we preview the actual season expectations? No, not not necessarily. Just to get the importance of the game, I guess. You know what? Yeah. No, do, do you feel like if if Everton were to win that game, I, I do feel like it'd be a huge springboard. Where if they were to go and lose again, even if it was a, a valiant defeat or you know it just petered out into a bit of a naff draw, I feel like this enthusiasm could just. I'm not saying people turn, of course they wouldn't, but it'd just take the wind out of the sails a little bit. Yeah, no, it's, it's that belief, it's that, it's that um, you know, getting up to a good start, it's definitely, it's definitely a thing. Mm. Um, and it can definitely have an impact on certainly the start of your season and, and how the, the place that you get yourself attached to for the mm. rest of the season, really. I think usually if you have a bad, if you have a bad start, you're out of it you know, as, as soon as possible, really. You've only yeah. been at Manchester City last season. Yeah. Know, with eight, eight games played and you would, you would have the title race, really. Yeah. Um, looking back at that that Spurs game, by the way, the the, the own goal winner, um, Everton started with a midfield that day, you know, with uh, midfield four, it will be Gomez, Sigurdsson and Davis. Now, could, could you even guess now who played where? <laughs> no. I'd say off the top of my head, Oh, go on, unless you want to break the news to us. I think I've got it. I think I could work it out. But if it's what I think it is, it just shows how bad it was. Yeah, well, I think I think what it is that I'm getting at. Davis started on the right on the day um, with Sigurdsson to the centre and Iwobi on the left. But you could have had Davis and Sigurdsson there swap places. You could swap Iwobi to the right. You, you know, you, 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 there's all kinds you can do with that. It's very, it very much is the, the square peg round hole thing. Yeah, um, that that saying has never yeah that saying has never been more applicable. I think you know square yeah. pegs round hole. I think in that game is just a prime example, and it does kind of make you reflect with a bit more, uh, just a bit more objective. I'd say you know because at the time I I found the result really frustrating because Everton really on the cusp of breaking into Europe. If they would have won those three games that week, I think it was uh, Tottenham, Southampton, and Wolves. Well, even if they would have picked up six points, they probably would have had a good shot of the of the title. Uh, title, if I wish, uh, of, of European <laughs> football. And um, obviously, they lost in a really bad fashion and a boring one nil game. But on reflection, you think, you know, look look at the team, look at the midfield. It's no surprise um, for this game, Josh. We've had James Rodriguez training all week. Bad Alan in there all week. I'm not too sure on the core actually because his deal got announced a lot later. I suspect he's only had a couple of days, but I'm just trying to gauge whether you you 
maybe throw them in from the outset. For me, I'd be tempted to, to be honest. Uh, they look fit. Looks like they've had a, a decent pre-season behind them. I don't think any midfielder from last season did enough to be guaranteed a start. So, um, it, some may call it a risk, but I'd probably include Allen and Rodriguez in the team and maybe the core right from the bench. Yeah. No, I don't. I, I think I would as well. I don't think, to be honest, I don't think Antipati has much of a choice. Mm. I think it's kind, it's kind of needs must, really. Um, I think last season, when um, I think Everton bought a few new players, and Marco Silva had this thing where he was he was taking a lot of time to, to bed them in and to give them actual games and stuff like that. Um, mm. That makes a lot of sense. If, if you've already got a really good core and a really good 11, mm. but when you haven't, the players you bought have to go in pretty quickly, otherwise mm. your results will start to suffer. And then you'll start looking at the new players that you bought who you wanted to give time. You'll start looking at them and throwing them in as a means of like, please help. So Yeah. Yeah, save I, I think, us. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think I think from Angelotti's perspective, obviously, you know, your first game is a waste of spares, not easy. You already don't really have much of a midfield. I don't think he's got much of a choice. Mm, I agree, yeah. I'd uh, I'd put them I put them in. Um certainly two of the three. Um so you kind of go for, it could be without Mason Holgate so it might be Bramwaith in there but you look at the 4-4-2 kind of usual goal for keeper Pickford you know back four uh, then I'd have maybe Alisson in there with uh, I don't know actually it's tough it's, I'll be honest Josh if all three who go in I'd just put all three in because then you, 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 yeah I would yeah because okay so you put Alan in but who are you putting alongside him I don't you know, if Gomez might be injured. He don't. He's, he he was sent home from international duty. He probably would have been my choice. So then, it, what? Maybe Sigurdsson in there? Um, yeah, it's not great. But we'll we'll see. We'll leave the um, the team selection to Ancelotti on the day went because he obviously know who's available. Have you got any any predictions at all for this game, Josh? I know it's really, really, really hard to do, especially this year of all year. But how can you can you see? Have you got any feeling as to how it might play out? Yeah, it's a difficult one to predict this. Um, Jose really loses when he's taken over his first game and the first new season and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm going to go for a draw, I think. I'm going to go one all. Mm, um, so am I. Yeah, first game back, no fans. Both managers in kind of, you know, after taking over halfway through last season, this is their first new campaign. They're both away. It's not the easiest fix yet. So I think it it might be relatively cautious. Mm. I'm also going to go one one, um, but a much better game than the one we watched eight weeks ago. Um, but we'll wait and see. We'll round off very quickly. Uh, Josh, if you had to, I won't ask for a specific position. I'll let you get away with a band of around you know two or three. I'll give you mine first. If you had to try and predict where you think Everton might finish this season based on the limited knowledge we have so far. Um, I'm kind of looking at between sixth and eighth personally. Um, but have you got any other reservations? And by all means, don't forget, honesty, best policy. Don't feel like you have to appease the listeners. <laughs> yeah. Um, to, to be honest, I I think if if Everton finish above eighth, I think they've had an incredible season. And the, the reason oh, really? I think that, yeah, the reason I think that is because if you look at last year. They finished 12th with a goal difference of minus 12. Um, mm. Usually, if you look at the goal difference, it kind of plays out in terms of position throughout the whole, most of the league. Um, like, say, for example, the, the team that finished 8th were Arsenal with a goal difference of plus 8. Sheffield United, 9th with a goal difference of 0. Um, mm. So, if Everton finished the season on minus 12, um, you know they've got to, they've got to shave twelve goals off there just to just to break even, and then they've got to add maybe another eight to get to Arsenal's level, and that's mm. Arsenal with Arteta only taking over half the season. So I think Everton to finish around eighth need to to have about twenty to to be about twenty goals better off, not on, not only on the attacking side on the defensive side as well. Mm. Um, now James Rodriguez, Decore. And Alan, three good players. Adi adding twenty goals to me. 
on the attack and the defensive side, maybe, you know, as possible. Mm. And if they do get to that point, Everton, for me, finish around eighth. And I think that'll be a great season. I think that's progression. Mm. Go and do it a bit better next year. And, uh, yeah, and just keep improving that way. But if Everton finish above eighth, I will be... I won't be, I won't be shocked or surprised, but I think it will be a great performance in comparison to last year. Yeah, you'd be impressed, should we say. You'd be impressed yeah. if you finished above eighth, yeah. Yeah, okay. No, that's fair, that's fair. We'll wait and see. Um, we'll round off the show. It was good to be back. The, the, the reality is we don't know when the next one will be um, because they're kind of semi-regular, but we'll we'll try and keep that up. It won't be as long as last time, obviously. We just had to deal with the, the consequences of, of the COVID outbreak and the impact on our working environments. But we've... We've kind of juggled that now, haven't we, Josh? And we are with other shows and we know what we're doing. So we'll we'll try and catch up and have another show soon. But thanks for listening in. Um hope we enjoyed it and we'll we'll chat again soon. Cheers, Josh. Cheers, mate. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.